Welcome to the second episode of WDMA Open and Close. I'm your host, Mike O'Brien, CEO of the Window and Door Manufacturers Association. First, let me thank everyone who provided feedback on our first episode. Our goal is to always bring you content that will inform and engage you, so please keep the feedback coming. Also, don't forget to subscribe to WDMA Open and Close through iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You can also listen to us online through the WDMA website. Coming up in this episode is a discussion about the recent findings of the WDMA 2018 Industry Market Studies with Brad Farnsworth of the Farnsworth Group. Then we'll have a conversation with Mitch Lewandowski of SoftTech to get his take on technology trends and developments in the industry. So stay with us. Produced annually by WDMA, the association's highly anticipated 2018 market studies on windows, patio doors, entry doors, and architectural doors were recently released this summer. The studies provide the data and insights needed to understand the industry's performance, key trends, and future direction. The studies are based on extensive industry input for product shipments in 2017. They were prepared, researched, and analyzed once again by the Farnsworth Group, a research consulting firm which focuses on serving the information needs of companies in the home improvement, residential building, and commercial construction industries. Joining me on the podcast to discuss the studies is Brad Farnsworth, president of the Farnsworth Group. Brad, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. Certainly our pleasure to uh, be able to join you today, as well as uh, conduct this study on your and your members' behalf. Thanks, Brad. Before we get into the substance of the market studies, we'd like for you to explain to our listeners the background on the U.S. market studies and the type of information it provides. Uh, certainly, Mike. Uh, as part of uh, WDMA's commitment to serve the industry, uh, they uh, annually have commissioned a third party to study and define uh, certainly historical, current, and forecasts uh, among three major product categories, those categories being uh, residential window patio doors, uh, commercial shop windows, residential entry doors, as well as architectural doors. Uh, those would be the categories that are being provided in the study. The information uh, includes number of units shipped, the number of units by divisional distribution, that would be at the nine census divisions, uh, as well as providing distribution of those units by a variety of factors such as material operation type, etc. cetera. Uh, this is our second year of producing the report for you all. Uh, and again, it also provides some information uh, macro-wise uh, on the numbers that are kind of used to go into the study. So let's drill down on some of these individual product categories and why manufacturers and investors might find this information important. Let's start with windows and patio doors. Uh, certainly. Uh, first off, if you think about the overall set of categories, across the various categories, we saw between a 6 to 8 percent growth uh, for 2017, uh, looking towards the future against all categories. Uh, we believe that will begin to slow a little in 2018, but slow uh, more dramatically in 2019 and 20. Specifically for uh, windows, we saw the growth in 2017 about 7.4 percent, which is certainly a very good healthy rate. 
those are the kind of numbers we believe that uh, your members and manufacturers certainly would be interesting as they compare their own sales. Uh, even more interesting, perhaps, as we drill down into the data as an example of things that are included in the report, you would see uh, for Windows uh, that the share of vinyl uh, in 2017 seemed to decline a little bit, while wood seemed to grow. Similar kind of comment, a single hung seemed to increase just a little bit relative to double hung. Sliding patio doors uh, actually with a slower growth around 5.5 with wood clad picking up a little. Uh, hinged patio doors actually grew faster than uh, sliding at 6.2. Uh, once again, wood seemed to be taking over a little bit. So those are the kinds of numbers, in this case windows and patio doors, that really can allow the member or user of the data to be able to drill down a little further and compare their numbers and behaviors versus the industry overall. So let's move on to residential entry doors. What were you seeing there? Uh, again, was a pretty good year in 2017 with a, about a 7% growth in unit shipments. And once again, uh, like most of the categories, uh, we think 2018 is going to be a little less, but still pretty strong, with potentially 2019-20 begin to slow down. And those slowdowns are really based on a lot of the numbers that we look at in terms of forecasts for both the new residential uh, housing market, the remodeling market, uh, as well as certainly commercial construction side of the market. Uh, but again, a very healthy uh, entry door. Again, we're also seeing, although it's a small portion of the market, wood picking up a little bit of pace. Again, using those numbers really as an example of what people could find in this report uh, as they go through the full report. So let's move on to the commercial side and uh, talk a little about commercial architectural doors. How, how has that been doing? The commercial market, uh, although was very strong coming out of the downturn, certainly has slowed relative to the uh, new residential market, the remodel repair market. So we really only saw a little marginal growth in architectural flush doors in 2017. We believe that'll probably stay pretty constant over the next several years. So obviously when working with surveys, there's always a concern that the data collected doesn't capture the entire market. Without giving away any trade secrets, could you explain how the Farnsworth Group uses the aggregate data collected and analyzes this, this information to produce the studies? Certainly, Mike, not sure um, we'll call them trade secrets, but um, appreciate that comment. Basically, we do get a high percentage of the market from the information that is submitted to us from the members. However, that is never 100% of the market, so we do have to use a variety of information to allow us to calibrate the information up to 100% of the market. Sources of those certainly are government statistics, data, etc. There's a lot of other associations that we begin to look at, and a lot of it perhaps may also be uh, internal proprietary knowledge that the Farnsworth Group is applying to help estimate upward, if you would, from that which is submitted by the members to a market total. So it's a combination of secondary kind of sources, Mike, that allows us to roll the numbers up to a total. 
Besides providing a granular look at the fenestration products produced and shipped in the U.S., the reports also provide residential and non-residential construction information. Why do you think that's helpful? We like to include that in the report to give the um, reader background information in the macro sense of the market uh, as to what we believe numbers that are growing, declining, etc., by the various, again, macro market segments. Uh, those then allow us to, again, to a certain extent, using the word calibrate, uh, what we see in the detailed data back to a reasonable assumption about what's going on in the market as a whole. So we provide that information to give the reader of the report uh, a background as to why some of the forecasts may be looking the way they are. Great. Last question, looking into the future, are there any changes in the pipeline that you're considering that will enhance next year's market studies? Uh, certainly, Mike. Part of your all's challenges to us as the Farnsworth Group when we took over uh, conducting this research and study for you last year was uh, to understand how we might improve the implementation and the quality of the information. Uh, several things that we'll be particularly doing next year. This past year, we did a pilot test of adding some information to allow us to again do this calibration a little better, and that consisted of actually doing some primary research uh, telephone survey research uh, to the channels that sell these types of products to allow us to get an understanding of their mix of business overall and by brand. That proved very useful this year, and thus we'll be expanding that for next year's information, which a much larger portion of primary research to add in conjunction with the members submitted information. Again, the two pieces will allow us to really drive we believe a higher quality uh, set of data. I don't want to say higher quality, uh, as good as we can possibly make it. Secondly, that will also allow us to uh, relook at the surveys, which are fairly detailed, that are submitted by the uh, member firms, hopefully able to now tighten those surveys up a little bit to make it easier for the members to submit information. Finally, based on discussions uh, with your board and uh, participants in the study, we will be adding a category or so. Uh, skylights, as an example, will be added to next year's study. So a variety of things we're doing to continue to make sure that we're providing you and your members uh, the best possible information we can produce. Well, we're certainly looking forward to next year's studies. And I want to thank you for coming on today's podcast, Brad. Mike, it is certainly our pleasure. Again, I want to thank you and your members for the uh, opportunity to uh, work on your all's behalf on this particular study. The WDMA market studies are provided free of charge to WDMA members as a member benefit. Non-members can purchase copies online through the WDMA bookstore at WDMA.com. We're going to take a quick break and then stay tuned for my conversation with Mitch Lewandowski. The place to be every fall is the WDMA Executive Management Conference. It's the only industry conference where senior management teams from the window, door, and skylight industries leading companies gather to understand and address the challenges facing the industry. Taking place this year on October 10th and 11th in Cambridge, Massachusetts, this conference comes just in time for 2019 strategic planning, 
offering topics and trends which will shape the industry over the coming year and is the only industry event to feature a CEO roundtable. Early bird registration rates expire September 24th, so don't delay. For more program and registration information, visit WDMA.com. In business for over 30 years with over 10,000 customers, SoftTech has been on the cutting edge of technology in the fenestration industry when it comes to design, estimation, and manufacturing solutions. As technology challenges continue to grow in an industry which was once perceived as decidedly low-tech, companies such as SoftTech are meeting these challenges head-on and providing solutions that are helping to transform today's fenestration products. With me today to discuss some of these technology trends is Mitch Lewandowski, SoftTech's Vice President of North American Sales. Mitch, welcome to the show. Well, great, thanks. It's good to be here and um, very, very thankful to be a, a part of uh, WDMA. Yes, thanks for being on our very second episode of, of the podcast. Mitch, technology's evolved significantly over the past decade and has become a large factor in the production of high-performance windows, doors, and skylights. So tell us about soft tech and the need it's fulfilling in the industry. Sure, thanks. That's a good question. Well, it all started back in the 70s. John Ball, who's our founder and chairman of the company based in Auckland, New Zealand, got an opportunity to help out a window and door company from a, an, uh, an accounting assignment. He came in and started seeing how um, in the turn of the century everything was, and he said, there's got to be a way to do this better. And with some programming background and a finance background, he came up with a way to uh, a software system to run a window and door manufacturer. And one of the things that was interesting about how John approached it was he looked at the opening of a building, not the individual unit. So he looked at the overall opening and then worked his way into it, uh, which there's a lot, lot of, there's a good story on that, which we can talk about another time. But uh, he was looking at how uh, this customer could produce windows uh, more importantly than just how can we create a price. So he started again from an opening standpoint and then how can we actually get into production? And where that took us was all throughout Asia Pacific back in the 70s and early 80s to where even to this day we have uh, 90 uh, plus percent market share in Asia Pacific. And then it took us over to Europe and North America. We've been in North America a little bit over 20, 25 years. And uh, our motto today is um, get more windows out the door. And how we do that is by resolving the core manufacturing challenges that window and door companies have uh, by connecting, uh, estimating to their core products that they want to produce and uh, being able to actually produce all those items in the factory, uh, whether it's a, a simple single home window or monumental curtain wall. And lastly, uh, our main focus is getting rid of silos of information within or organization. So when did they actually enter the U.S. market? It was about 25 years ago. Uh, we first opened an office up in Houston, and then about 21 years ago, moved that office from Houston to Fort Lauderdale. And how did you become involved with the company? Yeah, in, in early 2015, or maybe it was the end of 14, I got recruited by the company. They were looking for... Uh, someone in a senior leadership role in North America that had a customer perspective. Um, and this has been something we focused on uh, since I've been with the company is bringing in people that uh, come from the customer side 
and having been in and around the industry for about 20 years, uh, having started, owned, run uh, some residential and commercial uh, companies, um, I had a particular lens and uh, we, we refer, refer to often as customer empathy or customer understanding. Uh, so I joined them in uh, early in 2015 and have been with them ever since. So what are some of the biggest challenges you see in, uh, window and door companies facing when they tackle you know, this rapidly changing technology landscape? Now, who ever told you that technology was changing in the window and door industry? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a loaded question. Um, there, I guess um, a couple things, because we I know we need to move this forward. One is just adapting. Adapting to, um, I'll, I'll quote a, a, a current customer of ours. I, I sat down with him and he said, you know what our biggest problem is? I said, what? He said, we're stuck in the 1950s. We still run this business, and this is an existing customer that we're helping on the journey. He said, we run this business like we're in the 1950s still to this day. And as I travel around North America and I see you know, companies that are asking us for help or, or companies that are trying to make the move, I still see a lot of spreadsheets. I still see a lot of manufacturing that's done on a manual basis. Um, so adapting to what's available out there is one of the biggest challenges I see. Um, and so attached to that is really just accepting the need for change. And sometimes you'll be with um, a company that wants to do something differently. They know they need to do something differently, but they're trying to say, hey, everything's fine with what, what we're doing right now. And I uh, compare that to rearranging and or polishing the decks, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Um, that's just not the reality that we live in. And then uh, lastly, I would say is um, seeing that the future is high tech future in manufacturing, in any kind of manufacturing, is a technology-based future. So to sort of piggyback on that, if you owned a window or door company, what are some of the steps you do to best prepare the company for future technology changes? Well, the first thing that I would do is make sure that I'm attracting people that understand and embrace change and technology. And that doesn't always mean somebody who's new to the industry. A lot of times, we think oh, we've just got to get the young 20-something millennial that's just all embracing changing technology. What I've found traveling around the country is it's not an age-related thing. It's a mindset. You can have somebody in any age or stage of life that embraces technology, that embraces change, that's willing to break something to try to make things better. But I would say people that em embrace technology and embrace change. Next, it would be folks that have a mindset for automation. Um, versus we need more people. I've sat in on strategy meetings, and I think maybe you have too, where we've heard people say, hey, we just need to get more people. We need to get more laborers. We need to partner with high schools, technical institutes. We need to get more headcount because we don't have enough people to make our stuff. I was in a trip to Germany in 2006 with my wife, and there was a president of a manufacturing facility, which I'll leave nameless. He said, hey, I want to show you guys, my wife and I, want to show you the new plant we built out back. So he took us to this new building in the back of his his facility. And we walked in and he says it's about 200,000 square feet, converting over from meters. And he opened the door, we walked in, and we saw this very clean, very almost like a pharmaceutical environment. Uh, super clean. I can hear machines running. I can see stuff being built, and I, but I don't see anybody. And so I'm like, OK. He goes, how many people do you think are in this facility? I'm like, I don't know, 30, 40. He said two. 
and he pointed to a control room up high in the back. He goes, they're up there. Everything else is completely automated. So when I saw that in 2006, I said, this is, this is the future of manufacturing. So I would say the, the, having a mindset for automation versus we mean, need more people because you can't, you can't invent more people, especially in the, uh, the strong economy that we have uh, with low unemployment. You just can't make more people. If you say, well, we're going to go find a place where we can build a building where there's people, those people all have jobs. So a mindset for automation. Do you see that mindset changing at all? Yeah, it's um, it's pretty interesting being in the space that I am. Um, I kind of feel like I'm uh, in, in kind of the right place at the right time. That doesn't make me the smartest guy in the room, that's for sure. But just seeing what's happening in our marketplace, seeing the people talk more openly about it, seeing people start to say, yeah, we know we need to make a change in this space. We know that we need to embrace these things. So, yeah, it's we're on the early part of the swing. But yeah, I, I can, I'm definitely seeing the uh, the change start to take place. So what excites you about being in the tech space in this industry? Maybe you've already answered that. Well, I'd say one thing is just that there's a huge runway in front of us for the foreseeable future in this business. If you compare this or contrast it to say like um, Kodak that was making the instrumentic cameras when the digital camera movement started started kicking in. What did what did uh, Kodak and these instamatic camera companies try to do? They tried to make better ink for the instant picture film. They tried to reduce cost on the paper um, that's printed on to decrease their overall cost. They tried to decrease the time that the ink would dry. They were trying to do better in a dying market versus getting off the ship and hopping in the next one. So in this market with this runway in front of us, it's all about embracing that. Um, gosh, over 20 years ago, there's a famous pastor and author, Rick Warren, told a story about when he was in high school. Uh, they had a surfing class in Southern California. Now, I, when I heard that, I'm like, I, I definitely went to school in the wrong place because we were in Michigan and it snowed. <laughs> so they would take surfing class. And he, he tells this story. He's told it many times, but he first told it over 20 years ago. He said they would just go out there, sit on their surfboards, and they would look for a wave and get on it. He said, we didn't try to build a wave. We didn't try to train a wave. I'm paraphrasing him. And to move it into our industry, they didn't go out to try to build a different board to work on flat water, which is called a boat, by the way. Um, they would just get in where the movement of the water was and surf that and ride that wave. So my encouragement to everyone in our industry is to catch the wave that's in front of you, catch the wave that's in front of us, embrace, embrace this, and you'll get to where you want to be. Great advice. So as an evolved member of WDMA, what do you feel are the main benefits SoftTech gets out of being a member? The main benefits, well, you know, there there is the commercial benefit. And so, you know, there's going to be a lot of listeners in the in the, to this podcast. There's going to be people that make windows. There's going to be people that supply things to the window industry. So, yes, there's a commercial benefit. So I don't want to pretend like that doesn't exist to say, hey, it's all about something completely different like Mother Teresa. So yes, there is a commercial benefit and I'm sure that helps, um, that, that helps us. But if that were the only reason why I was involved in the industry, and this is for me or for anybody else, that would be an empty journey. So I would rather actually focus on the other benefits. I see two main, main benefits for being involved. Uh, one is just helping others when there is no com commercial motive or agenda. And secondly is um, developing the next wave, wave of leaders. 
Um, and what I mean by helping others with no commercial agenda, um, a lot of times people will come to me and they'll say, hey, can you help us with X? I know you're good at that. Or, can, you know, do you know anybody who's good at that? I'm like, well, I can, I can help you with that. And it's somebody I could never sell something to. I couldn't supply something to. But it's just a great way to help. Um, we've been on, and you know, we've been on Capitol Hill before. And there's been some people where going on Capitol Hill and speaking to a senator or congressman or staff is very intimidating. Having done a lot of things like that in the past, it's been easy for me to say, hey, why don't you guys come with me? We'll go do this together and then we'll debrief and then we'll, we'll let you give it a try. And by the end of the day, you've got somebody who's scared to death that all of a sudden is comfortable doing that just because they got some equipping. A lot of times it's just helping somebody with their LinkedIn you know, profile because they've They've got 140 people on LinkedIn, no picture, and they've just never spent time on it. And sometimes it's just helping somebody with the video conferencing best practices, which we, gosh, I'm in 15 to 20 video conferences a week, so it's normal for us. But a lot of our members, that's not normal. I was with one of the senior members of our group recently, and I said, well, you guys use it for video conferencing. And he's like, uh, I'm not sure. And uh, what are you guys using? And I told him what we're using. He goes, I'd love to learn more about that. Happy to help a guy that I would probably never be able to provide something for commercially, but I can sure help him on his video conferencing best practices. And then the other thing, and I've, forgive me for going long, but just this whole thing about developing the next wave of leaders and influencers are in, in our industry. I mean, I'm 52. If you look around any WDMA meeting, the average age in the room is at least my age. As I travel throughout the country and I get to meet a lot of people, I see some young, bright minds in our industry, and 99% of them are not involved in WDMA. And a lot of them don't even know what WDMA does or how it could be good for them. But I tell you what, when I meet those folks, I love painting the big picture, telling them what, what this is about, invite, invite, I love to invite them to events. Hey, you know, we're doing this, why don't you come? I'll show you what it's about. Because um, what I believe is if we really focus on, and I can do this, if I focus on this group of people, they're going to be here to be the next generation of leadership in WDMA, in the window and door industry in, in generality, because without those folks, we don't have a future. So I would say developing the, the next wave of leaders in our industry would be the second thing. Those are some great insights, Mitch. And I want to thank you for joining us on the podcast today. It's been great. My pleasure. I'm glad we could do it. And thanks to our listeners. Don't forget to send comments and suggestions to me at mobrien, M-O-B-R-I-E-N, at WDMA.com. We want to know what you want to hear about for future episodes. So goodbye for now until the next episode of WDMA Open and Close.